0: hey everybody how you doing tonight this is Jordan and Wayne and Mark and B and and Nareeb sort of special we've got areeb with us even um, areeb helped Jordan get all set up and Jordan knows how to use the system better than all of us right now so Jordans flashing <laughs> through some slides here as we're kind of get ready um, I think it was probably about. A month ago, that Jordan and I first spoke, um, I was actually in the airport in Atlanta, and I was headed. Jordan, I think I was headed to White Oak Pastures to uh, to do a workshop, which is um, Will Harris's place, um, and that's where we talked. and And I had already I had been to his Facebook page. Several people had recommended that he would be a great speaker for us. So I connected with him, and we had a nice conversation, and that's what led to him agreeing to come on and, and be with us here tonight. So greatly appreciate that. Thank you, Jordan.
1: Oh, thank you. Honor to be here.
0: And I, what we're going to do is, is the format of Jordan and I just sort of talking. He's got lots of images that he's going to show us. Um, I'm going to ask him a few questions about just about him and his, his his life, just so you guys get to understand that. As you know, I do a little of a lightning round where I'll just ask him some couple of little things like what what's a great book that he's been looking at lately and things, and just a couple <laughs> other little questions like that. Then we're probably just going to chat about his farming, his life generally, his his Facebook page and his group. He actually has a page and a group, um, and a website and he'll be able to show a little bit of that um, and um, that's going to be the format same as always <clears throat> if you guys have questions put them in I'll be looking at them and because we're doing an interview format we'll probably ask them once you put them in um, And I'd rather you guys ask questions than me so please put in questions as we go along if you've got some things you want to ask Jordan so let's um, so start out Jordan tell us where you're at in the world um, and how long you've been there, and, and sort of just a little bit about your, your life, just generally.
1: Sure. Uh, well, right now, I live in Edinburgh, Virginia. That's about 90 minutes west of Washington, D.C., so right in that central mid-Atlantic region in Virginia. Um, we've been here since 2009, which is when I left uh, five years back of active duty in the Marine Corps, and we've been farming full-time since then without, um, you know, external income and building our own retail-oriented uh, livestock business. So uh, a little history of myself and, you know, how I got here, I guess going backwards. Um, farm now, Marine Corps for five years. Uh, before that, I did an apprenticeship at Polyface Farm under Gold Salatin, who most people probably know of. And this was back when they were a little bit smaller of an operation than they are now. And there were two apprentices a year, and I was fortunate enough to be um, selected. So I was there from September of 2001 to um, October of uh, 2002. And before that, uh, growing up at home, my parents kind of had a a homestead-type farm and milked dairy goats. We had massive gardens, kind of that big homeschool family experience and um, from there I was born in upstate New York, so that's kind of my timeline going in reverse a little bit.
0: (laughs) And did you ever go through, I'll call it a rebellion period of thinking I don't want to do this farming thing again, Um, either when it was through your your early life or maybe after being with Joel, Uh, anything Uh. there?
1: No, I knew farming was what I wanted to do from when I was probably 15 or so. Um, when we moved to Virginia, I got a job on a farm a couple miles down the road that um, they had about 30 or 40 horses, so I was working with them a lot. They also had two uh, poultry houses, and for those of you that aren't familiar with that, they are buildings that are about 50 feet wide and 4 to 100 feet long, and will house anywhere from 20 to 50,000 chickens at a time. And um, I worked in those poultry houses as well. That was a very formative experience for me that I knew I wanted to farm, but I did not want to do that kind of farming. And that's what directed me to look into Polyface and what they were doing and, and go down there. So I guess you could say my, my rebellion was I wasn't going to farm inside the box. <laughs>
0: Um, and as you started down your career path, first going to Salatin and then into the service, by the way, thank you for serving. And
1: we have an international
0: audience, um, so I, I literally mean if if he was from Australia or from Pakistan or Bangladesh, I, I hope I'd be saying the same thing. I, I just think that that's a um, it's something that we should honor whatever country in the world we're in. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. But, um, it, during the – so I'm curious because you talked about the farmstead with your parents. As your parents saw you go to Salatin's, and let's, let's kind of skip the, the service side but, and then go back into farming, where, where, where are they at or what were they, what's their mentality? Are they supportive?
1: Um, and oh, so oh, sure, sure. Um, you know, I grew up in that time in the 80s when it was home birth, uh, home school. Uh, everybody's eating tofu and sprouts, you know, kind of that mentality is what I grew up in. So they were thrilled that I decided to go into this field. Um, they, you know, have a small little place right now and a couple of milk cows, but they don't farm at a, a commercial level. Um, my dad actually has a landscaping business. So, you know, in a way it's, it's similar that you're working outside, but he works with plants and I work with animals.
0: And I want to, I'm going to ask this because I want to make I I know I heard it and I actually you and I talked about it before but you made a big point of it when you started your farming now where you're at now after your service it you are a full-time farmer you're not making money blogging you're not out teaching courses you're not doing you're a full-time farmer making
1: your living. Yeah, I don't get paid for everything I do online, <laughs> um, and that was something that was important for us starting out was we wanted to achieve a scale that would support income very quickly. Um, You know, and it's one of the most difficult things for young folks looking to get into this field now is how do you do that, Um, especially if you have debt that you're bringing into the scenario. You know, our first year back here farming, I think we paid ourselves less than $10,000 for the whole year, but we were making that sacrifice to invest in building a business, um, you know, playing for the long-term success and not looking to make a, a pile of money right out the gate.
0: And how did you finance the the farm? Either at, and I you didn't say whether you own or lease. Um, mm-hmm. it, was that money you saved through your service times or whatever? Did you did you borrow? How how did you finance that,
1: problem? Um, there There's a misconception that when you start a farm, you have to buy land. And that's something that I've wanted to prove wrong and we've done so, so far. Um, you know, we're eight years into this and we still don't own one acre of farmland. We, we operate entirely on leases um, because that's going to be the, the biggest cost when starting out. And something I say is, you know, the land does not make you any money. It's what you do on the land that makes you money. So why would you pour all of your capital into uh, essentially a stagnant, locked-up asset? Um, so for us, it was taking the resources we had and putting them directly into um, low infrastructure systems and beginning to produce a product. Now we were fortunate enough; we had a family member that was willing to um, loan us money to get started, and that's something we're actually very close to having paid back so we set up a uh, thing about a nine-year note on the money that we got and you know been paying it back at interest just like it was from a bank um, except it just came from a family member
0: let's talk about the lease side for a minute one of the things I know we've got viewers that have had happen I've seen it I personally haven't had it happen to me but um, is that people come into a lease situation they um, they invest their own money into the, the land or to infrastructure improvements. In your case, it's their livestock. So you might, and and then the rug gets pulled out from under them. The the they, they, they get asked to leave. And and yeah. you know, there's always two sides to a story. But what did you do to protect yourself against that in your leasing situation?
1: Yeah, that's a very common situation, unfortunately. And usually, what brings that on is handshake deals. Uh, It's not written down who is going to do what, what the exchange money is, um, what the scope of the operations on the land will be. So those are things we work to define very clearly when we're going to lease a piece of property. And the way that it worked, we've we've actually leased um, seven or eight different pieces of property over our nine years here, but our core hub farm, which is about a 200-acre place, um, we've had pretty much the entire time. With with our core farm here, it was all about developing a relationship with that landowner, understanding what his desires were. He's a you know retiring dairy farmer in his 60s, um, you know what was important to him. And then structuring a lease that honored that, also gives us permission to what we want to do and offers both of us levels of accountability and protection. So starting out here, we just had a one-year lease. We did not put any infrastructure on the farm. I think we just made hay on it. Uh, After that, we went to a five-year lease because everybody was feeling a little bit more comfortable. And then about year three into that five-year lease, uh, we approached them and said, we want to do a lifetime lease of this farm. Uh, And that's lifetime for us. So even their heirs will have to deal with us. Um, But, you know, like anything situations can change, relationships can end, so what we have built into our lease are fail-safe measures that they can ask us to leave this farm, Um, they have to give us a one-year notice, and then also any infrastructure that we have put into this farm that is permanent in nature, so concrete floors, buildings, um, fences, things that we can't take and leave, that has gone into a depreciation schedule. And so if they were to ask us to leave at any given point, they have to write a check for what that depreciation schedule is for us to leave. Now, the other side of that is if we were to decide to leave, we have to give them a one-year notice or pay a one-year lease penalty, and we're walking on all the infrastructure that we put in. So it gives them security knowing we're vested to to stay here, and it gives us security knowing they're just not – Going you know, to change their mind one day and decide they want to get rid of us. And that seems to be about as secure an arrangement that I've seen uh, and, and been able to develop.
0: That's awesome. Um, again, I'm a, a business guy. I've farmed forever too, but I've never had farming as my primary income. Um, and so, but I'm very aware of contracts. We would call that in a standard business contract liquidated damages. So mm-hmm. those are damages yeah. that you're going to get paid because you were harmed by an action or they would because you harmed right. them. That's
1: a very and, and smart. Like and like anything, it's you can't make a bulletproof contract. Um, you know, so it's about the relationship at the end of the day that we have a very good relationship with, it, with him. He and I can go out to breakfast and discuss things. Um, he is very fascinated by what we're doing because it's so contrary to everything he did. And what his buddies did, and he's seeing the results on his farm now that we've been here for um, eight years. You know, he's seeing pastures that were kind of thin and barren now lush with immense amounts of forage, you know. And this is without using any chemical fertilization. So he's he's seeing as a farmer, he's seeing the the results, you know, that that indicate um, health of a system. But he's fascinated about how we do it. And that's worked really well. We, we have a really good relationship with him, and that's something um, that's a high priority for me to maintain um, because we have a lot invested here. You know, even if we were to be paid to leave, it still would not be a fun time.
0: <laughs> um, just, uh, I'm going to ask the, the audience one question, and then I want to stay on this topic just a little bit more. This is a really good one for everybody. Um, could you guys throw in some ones? if you're hearing us and seeing us all right. So you should see two webcams. You see some solar, and we're gonna, we'll are get to those in a minute. Um, something up in the, the screen above. I uh, just want to make sure so people are saying yes. Cool, thank you. By the way, I see somebody who's in our audience who is a very um, active person on your group, Terry girth uh, Yes, very, very popular, much so. Regular, yeah, in our, in our community. Um, Let's talk about on the contract side on your lease. What about if um, because you said it, it's a lifetime lease? What if um, that your 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 friend now um, and your your landlord really? What if he dies and now his heirs have got it? Um, is there is this a recorded document? Is there something that stops his successors from changing their mind and changing the deal on you?
1: Yeah, it's, it is a documented and signed, you know, thing. Um, the one thing I didn't mention is if they were to decide to sell the farm, we have first right of refusal. Uh, the way I understand that, I'm not a real estate guy, is if they want to sell it, we don't have to make the first offer, uh, but when someone else makes the first offer, we have the right to pick it up for whatever that price was. Okay. So, well, yeah, there are Go ahead. There's certainly a risk to anything. Um, so you know, we've had his children out to the farm a few times. Um, it, it's two daughters. Both of them live uh, over 100 miles away. Certainly have no interest in farming. Uh, I really don't know what they're uh, want to do when they when they get it. Um, and you know, that's not something that we are discussing right now. Is hey, we want to sit down with them and. Get a feel for what they're thinking because even if it's 10 years down the road, um, you know, we want to start making plans accordingly if, if they're going to come in and want to build a house over here or, um, you know, a, a second home kind of thing.
0: Cool. Um, well, I'm going to ask you a few a little more personal questions about things that you're either doing now or that you've done before. One of them you actually kind of alluded to.
1: And then we'll go on. I'm going
0: to let you show us some things. and um, on the, You've got lots of images and talk about your farm, tell us what you do. But start with this one. Um, let's pretend that you're 15 years old, and so take yourself back. And let's say it's a beautiful Saturday or Sunday afternoon. You don't have to do anything else. You can do what you want. What would we find Jordan doing?
1: Um, well, realistically, I would have been working. Um, At at that point, I was milking a herd of a dozen, 15 dairy goats. So I was milking goats every day. Um, I was selling milk and cheese uh, on the black market (laughs) and uh, did so for several years successfully before I got busted for that. Um, But that kind of ethic of work and entrepreneurship started for me at at a young age. I was doing a paper route at eight years old. At, you know, 12, 13 years old, I was mowing a dozen lawns in the winter, or uh, in the summer, and chilling snow in the winter. And I had more money than any, any other 12-year-old, but I managed to blow all of it. Um, you know, and then as a teenager, I had the dairy goat business kind of going till that got crushed. Um, so, you know, for me, leisure time, if I, if I was taking it, I was reading. I've been passionate about reading most of my life, um, so probably – Around that 15, 16-year-old time, one of my uh, achievements that I was very proud of myself was I read uh, a book that came out called Stonewall. It was about Stonewall Jackson, the, the Confederate commander um, that played a, a huge role in the Civil War here in Virginia. Uh, it was a 1,400-page book, and I got it from the library, and because it was a new book, I only had two weeks to read it. So I read that whole book in two weeks, <laughs> which, was, uh, which was quite a chore.
0: Well, if I would ask the question during that time, you were reading during that afternoon. Um, yeah. Make sure you put that in the chat area, Mark, um, just so that everybody can have that. Um, so now let's fast forward till today. Um, and now it's next weekend, let's say, and it, it's a beautiful day. You don't have to be farming. It's not required. that For whatever reason, that day somebody else is doing all the work. Um, and nice. you, you didn't say anything about your family, and you can either do that if, not, or if you want, but what would we find Jordan doing today on a beautiful Sunday or Saturday afternoon when you don't have anything else you have to be doing?
1: Right. Yeah, Sunday is kind of our, our family day. Um, I joke around that you know the only time I have off in the week is from about 9 Sunday morning till 3 Sunday afternoon. Um, so, you know, that's the day we're going to church as a family and then usually go out to lunch with friends afterwards, um, hang around a little bit in town because it's not something we do that often, um, and then, you know, come back home. Um, for me personally, my idea of a good vacation is air conditioning. I, I work out in the heat all day. Why would I want to go sit on the beach and, and roast some more? So... For me, you put me in a movie theater with blasting A.C. for an afternoon, and I'm a happy cowboy. Because <laughs> you,
0: you don't just have heat. You have a little humidity, too. Um, and you're, Very humid here. Yes. Um, oh, that's cool. Um, this, is, um, th- this is one that you've kind of answered for the past, but you say you love it. What's a book that you would say that you've either read in the last year or so that you're reading right now that you just might – Recommend to
1: everybody because you loved it so much. Um, probably the number one book I'm recommending right now is is not an agricultural book. Um, it's actually a leadership book called Extreme Ownership, and it was written by a guy named Jocko Willink. Um, absolutely transformed my approach to uh, business leadership, um, personal, you know, kind of accountability for keeping myself on point. And, uh, you know, you ask anyone who knows me, they will tell you that was a, a definitive pivot point for me was reading that book. So I've probably read it three or four times now. I've given a couple dozen away to friends and told them to, you know, get after it. Uh, and then they do a, an event um, once or twice a year called a muster, which is, you know, a leadership event. And uh, I've gone to two of those in the last year that are um, simply outstanding.
0: Awesome, and I, I put that in the chat, and, and Mark, if you'd put anything you hear that we have in here, if you'd throw it into the chat, that'd be great, because uh, I'm going to grab that. Is that available pretty much, Amazon? Yeah, or, um,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it's on Amazon. He also has one of the top-rated business podcasts right now. It's called the Jocko Podcast. Um, now, for you know folks that may not be familiar with this, this is military leadership, um, You know how He's, he's a retired um, SEAL commander, and so for me, coming out of the military, this was language that was, you know, music to my ears, easy to understand, um, but for someone maybe unfamiliar with, with the military or, you know, maybe does not, um, you know, kind of appreciate the military mindset, it might be a little bit of a challenge to get through.
0: Okay. Let's um, stay on the topic of something that's helpful. Tell us about a tool that you've used, that you just started to use over the last year, let's say. could be a farm tool. could be a a, a household tool. Anything that you don't have to think a lot about. You just, boom, you go to it. What's a tool that you're using that that you could tell people about? Maybe they could think about using it also.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll go pretty big with what this tool is. I'll see if I can find it here and put it.
0: Oh, that'd be cool if you can show it. That'd be awesome. While he's doing that, guys, we're having a little windstorm at my place. I've got the window open because, like Jordan, It's really hot here today, and I take advantage of a little bit of cooling. I don't have air conditioning here. If you hear the blowing wind, tell me, and I'll close the window.
1: Okay. Uh, So anyway, I can't find a picture of it, but um, a feed grinder mixer, and what that is doing is allowing us to mix all of our own hog feed, which has taken that cost and cut it in half. So, you know, for me, that's... A uh, key thing in scaling these systems is addressing the input costs and what can we do to bring those down. Um, because you know, at the end of the day, probably the, one of the biggest things keeping consumers from buying this um, you know, local produce or you know, regeneratively raised meats is cost. And that's something that um, us as a regenerative industry need to address and take steps to, to bring down um, if we want this to be more than a, a percent kind of thing.
0: So here's the next one. Um, this one's going to be the only really kind of negative one that I ask, but usually people I- enjoy it and they think about it. Um, uh-huh. tell us about something that happened in your life that was pretty negative when it happened, and now when you look back on it, it actually has really worked out for the good for you in your life. So it, it had a positive outcome that at the time did not seem so positive at all.
1: Uh-huh. Um- Uh, absolutely can tell you that it was in 2015. We were, um, at that point, four years into a partnership with uh, another farm. Um, Without going into all the details on how that came about, um, we had been approached by a larger um, farm 20 miles away from us that was wanting to get started, and so we entered into a business partnership with them which was real instrumental in helping us achieve some scale, and in 2015, they decided that they didn't want to play this game anymore, so dissolving that partnership um, by far was the most stressful event I've gone through in my life. Uh, I mean, anxiety attacks in the hospital, kind of stress, and, you know, looking back now, though, that was probably one of the best things that could, could have happened to us because it extracted us from a potentially uh, toxic relationship. Um, there was a lot of controls put on us that um, you know I disagreed with, but you know, kind of as the minority partner, I did not have enough clout to to have my way with it. So it was it was a good experience to go through. It was pretty rough when it was happening, but looking back now, I'm sure glad the divorce happened then and we're still not uh, we're still not joined at the hip right now.
0: So just a couple more, the wind just closed the door behind me, um, That, and then we'll go into more just farming-related things. Who's a person that has really influenced you in your, let's call it your farming, your business life, other than your parents or Joel Salatin? because and, and, we're going to talk about Joel a little bit more a later, so what's the
1: name? So. Um. I probably, again, would have to go outside of ag, um, that guys like Jocko Willing, um, you know, Tim Ferriss, um, Seth, uh, Seth Gooden, guys like that who um, address the, the fundamentals of leadership, business, marketing, um, even this new and uh, developing technology of social media and digital interface, this is a realm that agriculture is so far behind in that, uh, you know, I have neighbors who still refuse to carry a cell phone kind of thing. Um, So having those kind of external, you know, I'll say passive mentors, you know, I I know where to find information for farming. Uh, experience a lot of times is the best teacher. And those kind of things, though, of of leadership, business management, and marketing, those are not uh, kind of intuitive to agriculture. So it's been a balancing act to pull information from guys that have nothing to do with ag, and then apply that um, in the you know to our business here in agriculture. Um, inside of inside of farming itself, uh, outside of Joel, um, guys like Alan uh, Nation, who has now passed away, was you know, I read a lot of his books, um, went to a couple events that he was at, um, and then just the, the kind of plethora of writers for locations like Stockman Grass Farmer um, Acres USA. Um, recently, I've developed a relationship with um, Richard McDonald and Tina Williams, which Tina is the daughter of Bud Williams, who was uh, probably one of the most well-known cattle stockmen and marketers of his time. And again, he's he's passed away now as well. But they are making great strides in teaching um, cattlemen. The, the business of a system called sell buy and how you can make a profit with cattle in any kind of market by applying a sell buy system as opposed to a buy sell. So those those are a few people off the top of my head. I, I might be missing some big ones.
0: Well, <laughs> oh, that's fine. Um, and they, You broke up just a tiny bit. I'm going to repeat it. I think you said it because I may ask you about this later. And that is doing a sell buy system rather than a buy-sell in terms of mentality. We, we might dig into that a little deeper. Was that accurate? Yeah. Is that what you that said? Is,
1: yes, that is correct.
0: Cool. Um, last, last broad question, and um, it's one that, that is one I wouldn't normally ask, but it relates to Joel. Um, tell us something that, that happened during your one-year internship that is probably amusing, funny, whatever, about <laughs> that happened. That, that people would just—I mean, Joel's a hero in the industry. Generally, everybody here. I've gotten right. to know him. I actually am a—we're actually working on a business project together right now. Um, nice. And so, but just tell us something that that happened during that time that was just sort of a, yeah. a story that's kind of funny or amusing.
1: Probably the only time that I knew I had screwed up really bad when when I was there was. Um, they're they're really tight with the apprentices that live there. You know, at that time there was only two apprentices a year. Um, we were eating dinner with them every night. Sometimes we're eating breakfast with them. You know, we lived out in a little cottage, hundred yards away from the house. And um, you know, one thing folks may not know about Joel is he has an incredible sense of humor and loves to joke around. So we had this atmosphere of kind of pulling pranks and jokes on each other. And one day I walked by the sales building and noticed that the freezer door was open to the walk-in freezer and that the light was on. So I I assumed somebody was in there, and I was going to pull a prank on them. So I ran up, I slammed the door shut, and I turned the light off. And I heard a scream from inside the freezer. So I I was like, oh, crap, quick, threw the light on, opened the door, and it was Joel's wife, Missy. Um, And she came out like a hornet and just lit me up. Uh, which you know, I totally deserve, but looking back now, it, it, it's pretty funny uh, that I kind of got what I deserved there. <laughs> that's great. Um,
0: So, and then one last, now we're segueing into farming. Um, one last, but that's related, and then I want you to go ahead. You just, you're going to take over and sort of tell us about your farming operation and use some of those cool pictures that you've got for us. Um, you, you talked about how you're doing some things very differently than your than neighbors and than the, your landlord would have expected. Um, Joel's doing the same. I'm doing the same. Mark Shepard's doing the same. I heard Joel on a Justin Rhodes video just recently when Justin was there at his place, and Joel has said this other times when people ask him, how do your neighbors look at what you're doing and have they – when, have they have they adopted very much of what you do and his answer is pretty clear no they haven't and and I'm curious have you had similar experiences so this is taking it back to um, your location and what your neighbors
1: and others that are around you see yeah absolutely um, there is such a ingrained tradition and, and culture in a uh, a legacy agricultural family that, you know, they've had it in the in the same family for 200 years or, or however long, um, that you as a, a relative new guy, they are not going to listen to one thing that you say. Um, even if you show them the numbers and, you know, present facts and, and evidence, that doesn't matter. And for years, I'd actually wondered why, why was this? Um, and I concluded that probably one of our biggest advantages was being first generation farmers because we did not have all of this baggage to undo and all of this uh, legacy to, to let go of. Um, but I think the reason behind a lot of it is have you, have you heard of a concept called pathway dependency? I, I found yeah. it and it seemed to fit what I was observing in farmers around me. That you know, once you walk a path in a certain way, that's always going to be the way you do it. You know, if you always get up in the morning, use the restroom, start your coffee, uh, and get the newspaper, that's your path dependency. And in agriculture, there is so much of this structure um, evident that uh, you know, there's no there's no rhyme or, or reason why people keep doing the things they're doing except that it's the way they've always done it. And some of them you can try to bring your way, some of them you can't. Um, you know, a recent example was I was talking with a, a neighbor who's got one of the largest farms in, a, in our area and, and we're friends. And um, I asked him, I was like, so, you know, with your business, um, they're running several hundred pairs of, of cattle. On multiple farms and you know crops and all this stuff. I was like, so for your business, do you guys do budgeting or you know how do you control things? And he was like, well, Jordan, from with the farm, I've always just shot from the hip, and that just blew my mind that this is a late fifty-year-old gentleman who came from a family of farmers and inherited all of these you know lands and property and cattle, and they're running the business like it's getting dinner on Sunday, you know, that we're, we're just, oh, how much money we got in the wallet kind of thing. Uh, but that's, that's incredibly common. Um, so, yeah, a, a very similar experience to Joel. Um, you know, I maybe take a little bit different approach than Joel, and I haven't written a bunch of books on the topic or anything. So, you know, most of our neighbors are just kind of indifferent to us. They, they, they don't have resentment towards us or, you know, have negative things to say. They're just like, oh, they are those people over there doing that thing
0: yeah all right well let's segue now I love I have I'm total curiosity of the picture we're seeing right here so uh, let's uh, let's segue into you just tell us about your farming situation what, what you do now today you're a livestock farmer use the pictures you, you just take it over take it for as long as you want to go about telling sure. us about your 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 operation if people have questions while you're doing it, I might interject those. And, and we've got about a half an hour left here, a little less than that. So you take whatever you want, and then we'll go back and do some more chatting.
1: Sure. Um, I'll just go through some of these pictures and just talk a little bit about them. These are just some random ones that I have put together. Um, what you're seeing here, this is a delivery of basically an entire farm's worth of animal containment. So you look back at animal livestock in particular in a historic concept, there, there are a couple patterns that you see emerging. One is that it was always easier to bring feed to your animals than animals to the feed. The only exception to this, I think, would be the range land grazing uh, that went on for a few years out west where they're moving these huge herds around, but you know, the advent of private property and fencing and railroads kind of put an end to that. Um, but you had to have a containment for your animals, and it was easier to harvest the grain out in the field and bring it to your animals. The reason for that was, say 200 years ago, um, you hear of this thing called rotational grazing. The only way that you could achieve that is if you're going to build a stone wall or a wooden fence every day. Now, a good stone mason can put down about 10 feet of wall a day, so you imagine if you wanted to move your cows in a rotational pattern across a farm, it was pretty much impossible to do because the infrastructure required was so uh, intense and labor, you know, laborious, uh, laborious to, to pull off. But this picture here, this is uh, netting in here, electrified netting. These are chargers. There's other stuff in here. This allows us to run hundreds of pigs, or you know, chickens, cows, on our farm. So what has changed is technology. We don't have to build a stone wall anymore. Uh, We don't have to build a wooden fence to keep our animals in. We can use one strand of polycord and hold in a herd of 1,000 cattle if we want to. Now what has not changed for the majority of conventional agricultural thought is we're still locked in that path dependency of it's easier to bring feed to the animals And that's what you see in in animal uh, agriculture today is animals have been confined. It's not just the the barn lot and a small pasture anymore. The animals got moved into the barn for a time, and now they're in the barn all the time, and now it's a lot more of them in the barn all the time. And we're still bringing that feed to them. So it's very, uh, very costly. The infrastructure is incredibly uh, heavy that's needed to support all of these things. And that's, there, there are reasons why the agricultural community as a whole suffers with things like debt because the, the heavy players have figured out how to offload the biggest cost of animal production, um, which is the housing cost. That is the responsibility of the farmer now. So, you know, for instance, um, where we live in Virginia is a huge poultry producing area. In fact, a new one was just built behind our farm two years ago. Um, each one of these poultry houses <clears throat> costs about four to $500,000 to build, and then there's ground prep for them. Your average poultry house nets the farmer about $10,000 a year, so he needs three or four at a minimum to, to get by. So it doesn't take much of a math education to figure out at five hundred grand a pop times four, you're $2 million in debt to make $40,000 a year. Now, would anybody make that play on Wall Street? no no I don't think so but people are lining up to do it because they see that as well it's a secure paycheck that I can get and I can farm in the evenings and in the mornings before I go to my day job not seeing the mind enough to ask the question why do I need two million dollars of infrastructure to produce a chicken so for us a foundational Principle for our operation is we want everything as light as possible, as portable as possible. Mobility is designed into everything. So really, you know, back to what we were talking before about the lease, if we had to leave this farm, pretty much everything that's important to us for production is going to leave with us. Um, so that, that kind of explains this picture right here is that we don't need huge stone walls or fences or massive barns anymore. We have um, you know we have plastics, we have stainless steel filaments, we have solar panels, we have all these things that allow us to manage in the field and begin a return, instead of bringing feed to the animals, bringing animals to the feed. So does that, that kind of make sense or am I off in the weeds somewhere?
0: Oh, no, makes total sense. I'm going to ask you one question though, just because of what, go back to that slide real quick, um, and I haven't ever asked anybody else this, so I'm curious. So I'm a huge portable fence user for an alpaca herd and for chickens, right? And I use Pioneer fencing just like you have. Why doesn't Pioneer have a competitor yet for their netting? Have you ever thought of it? Um,
1: yeah, Premier they do. I, I forget the name of. I said of, Pioneer, and I, I meant Premier. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, they do a it's called Cove. Um, it, it's a competitor. The The issue is right now they're just not. In my opinion, not the same product. Um, you know, they, they might be working on it, but I've used Premiere since over oh, early 2000s, and I, ha- I guess I have past dependency on it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I just have always thought, and I meant I meant to say Premiere, um, that I've seen some of that other brand, but don't know anybody that's really using it and having any good experience. Anyway, go back uh, to your slides. so oh, appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So this right here was um, when we were in partnership with this other farm, we actually bought a poultry farm that had four of these huge houses on it, and we converted the houses to um, wintering facilities for all of our animals. So we were able to pick up, uh, you know, this place for three or four dollars a square foot um, for roof space, which you know we, you can never build that cheap. And we ripped the sides off the buildings, took out all of the feeder and water systems which would be hanging down through here, and uh, overwintered our, our animals in there. So I about that one? Um, compost, uh, a big part of what we do, this would be in the spring when we cleaned out an area. Um, okay, so segue into pigs a little bit. Um, pigs are probably the, the animal that I'm uh, most interested by or, or fascinated with that... It's, it's an animal that with proper management can do its own plowing of the ground. It can plant the seed if you broadcast it, and then you can bring it back and it can harvest it later. So it, it's a it's a uh, disc, it's a harrow, it's a plow, it's a planting machine, um, it's a cultivator, it's a combine, all in one. The, the key ingredient is our management. One of the things, though, that is brought up, Um, about animal uh, agriculture by, you know, kind of opponents of it is we're using all of this grain that should be used to feed people and we're feeding it to animals instead. Uh, First of all, I would say that starvation problems in the world are more of a logistical problem than a a supply problem, but that's uh, that's another conversation. Um, One of the things, though, we've done with our pigs is we want to source alternative feeds as much as we can. So this is a picture right here of a pumpkin field the day after Halloween where they are giving away all these pumpkins, and so we came in and picked up all of these pumpkins to feed to our pigs. Um, right now, about two-thirds of the feed that we are feeding to all our pigs is waste-sourced, such as such as this. Um, we're getting peanuts from a peanut mill down in North Carolina that... the the plant generates a hundred tons of wasted peanuts per month. These are the ones that just fall out of the machinery and um, fall on the floor. So we're using that as our protein base. Um, We are also feeding apples. Uh, There's quite a big orcharding industry here. And so we have an arrangement with a packing shed that we just park wagons out there. They throw the reject apples in there, and we have apples from uh, August through March of them every year that we're feeding to the pigs as well. So it's kind of cool to me to remove that, you know, that element from that discussion entirely that we're just going to feed these pigs, uh, you know, feed that's going to be wasted anyway. So this is one of our cows in the woods. Um, you can kind of see back here, there's a, a wire here. That's the post. There's a wire. This is the spool the wire is on. We have um, over 100 breeding animals on our farm right now, and that is the only fencing that keeps them in. So we don't have to have this huge confinement building with a lagoon underneath it. Um, We can take an animal and put it back into its natural habitat, and by applying a high level of management in how we do it, all of a sudden things begin to work. And with pigs, um, I'll see if I can find some other... uh, (laughs) I thought what was cool with this, they dig these little holes in the woods. These are wallows that in hot weather, they'll just you know, lay in and cool themselves off. Um, with our pigs, they are moving in a rotational pattern, much like cows or chickens or anything. So They are only touching one place in the forest um, once or twice a year for about a week. And what was cool was I was walking through an area that pigs had been through the previous winter, and there was this little uh, puddle there from where they had dug out an area, and it was chock full of amphibians. So we are, you know, creating habitat for animals other than just the pigs, and you know I'm no ecologist, but I think they say amphibians are kind of the uh, the bellwether um, species for health or decline of an ecosystem.
0: Yeah, they're the know. equivalent of what you hear them talk about as the canary in a uh, air. In a coal
1: mine Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, let's see. Oh, so this is one of our eggmobiles that we built. Um, Cost is something I think people can get a little bit carried away with, that you think you have to have the Cadillac of everything. And, you know, I've seen people spend five, $6,000 on an Eggmobile that will hold two or 300 hens. Um, this one right here costs 700 bucks to build. So if you can find, um, like, this metal is all the junk metal from a building project where they, you know, sandwich good metal in between it. Um, We saw a lot of the lumber that we had, and this is actually a uh, mobile home frame underneath here. And this thing will hold 400 chickens, and we can take it anywhere we want on the pasture. That's product going down to to cold storage. Some cows, some pigs, some turkeys. (laughs) Um, All right, and talk a little bit about this, again, about infrastructure, portability, mobility. (laughs) <laughs> this is a, a trade wagon that we designed that sits on a hay wagon uh, chassis that you can get for a couple hundred bucks at an auction. So these are kind of the, the junk, junk ones that really aren't good for heavy service anymore. Um, this is some sawmill lumber on here. And then to build this frame structure, um, this is the fencing material for a link fence that you can find at Lowe's. And then these ribs are made out of electrical conduit. So we're just bending them to make the ribs here and then putting a shade cloth over all this. Now, the neat thing about these wagons is we don't want to have uh, a piece of deer be mono species in, in what we can use it for. We want something that can be used for multiple different kinds of animals as we're then spreading that cost across a wider base. So we have used these shade structures for turkeys, chickens, um, egg layers, ducks, pigs, sheep, the the only thing we can't use these for is cows because they're they're too short. But again, a super cheap um, source of shade that we can put anywhere out on the field where we need. We even take these down the road sometimes, which I'm sure gets the neighbors looking. <laughs> but you can see behind here. This is that electrified net keeping these turkeys on the field. I'll see what other pictures. All right, so. This is a little bit more high-tech piece of gear. Um, you know, we're talking about big stone walls and fences. Um, another thing when you're dealing with cattle is corral systems. You know, you're having this big thing. Um, there are companies now that make portable corrals. So this entire thing folds up onto a trailer that's right here in the center, and you can drop it onto a truck. And I towed this thing from Kansas to Virginia down the interstate. That's That's the kind of road trips it can make. And we could take it out into the pasture, wherever the cows were, and put them in it for when we needed to sort one off or put it in the head gate or take some to the butcher. So, again, the the wave of the future is uh, portability and mobility with everything that we have. Um, Let's see. Um, This is an area we were converting into a hog range, so we were cutting down all the junk trees and pine trees, um, using them for lumber or firewood, chipping all the tops to use for uh, bedding for the, the winter animals, and this is a, a really nice savanna area. Um, this is out on that other farm I was talking about before, so sadly we actually do not have pigs in there right now. Uh, that's pretty delicious looking. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, this is some of the lumber that we saw milled. You know, if, if we have wood, on the farm, it's a great resource to use for all of our own projects. Let me see what I can find here.
0: Before before you go on, tell us a little bit about your sawmill, because I'm guessing it's not just the Cadillac that you find. You know, you, you probably did some innovative to get your sawmill.
1: Um, it's a Turner sawmill, so it, it is one that's manufactured that we bought, but it I think cost about eight thousand dollars to buy, so it's a little bit of money, but it's nowhere near. Um, the amount you, know, you would spend to get a big stationary sawmill. These little portable ones can handle um, up to a 30-inch log. They can be uh, 16 feet in diameter, which is most any of the lumber that you will need on a farm will will fall within those dimensions.
0: What do you think your ROI on that? You know, if it, so let's say 8,000 cost, and just based on your savings for being able to. Mill your own wood versus buying it, even at an auction, even low, you know, or at low is Obviously, I bet it. I bet it's a shorter time than most people would think.
1: I, I've never really penciled it, but I would imagine within the first year it paid for itself. A, and we really don't use it that much. Um, it needs to be used a lot more. Um, something cool that we're doing right now is we're starting to sawmill um, hardwood lumber that we want to use in a house that we'll build someday. So we don't even know where the house is going to be, but we're going ahead and sawmilling it's black alone. walnut yeah, and, and oak and just stickering it and putting it away, and it'll be there when we want it down the road.
0: That's gold. That's wood gold because that's not going down in price over time.
1: So. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: By the way, I, so I'm going to give a little me side of me out, out here. I'm a really strong believer in what's called the collaborative economy. And so on my farm, one of the things that's just my pet peeve is anything that's not used an optimal amount of time. And so I will figure out, you know, a a piece of equipment that's got some value and $8,000 would be one. And I try to figure out ways that it gets used more. Um, So is that something, you know, with the potential for other neighbors to use it where they, you know, you'd be getting a lease payment from them or you'd share or do something. Is that an an option for you? Something that Yeah, you we consider?
1: we actually bought it um, half and half with a neighbor farm. So they've okay. used it a bunch for stuff they've built. Um, for the last year, it's been sitting on my farm and not doing much at all, but it's, it's gotten good use by everybody.
0: Okay, awesome. We'll keep going here. we got about 10 minutes or so. Guys, throw all in right. any questions that you have, um, and, and um, we'll so just make sure that we get those answered.
1: Yeah, this is just a picture from this spring with some of the cows that we bought last year. Um, talk a little bit about, about these. That, what, The question is, what cows should I buy? And this is something in that Bud, Bud Williams School of Thought that they address, that at any given time, there is an undervalued animal on the market and there are overvalued animals, and that is part of the sell-buy. Is that you always want to sell the overvalued and buy the undervalued animal. And there's formulas for figuring that out. Um, for us, as a retail oriented farm, there is a different end game in that we are, in a way, buying that finished animal from ourselves and then representing that purchase in the retail price of, of the meat. So, something that we figured out over the last couple of years is. We can sell about three cows worth of ground beef for every one cow uh, worth of steak. There's a huge demand on the market for ground beef and not as much so for steak. So we looked last summer at the market and said in light of the demand we have, what is going to be the best buy? And what we figured out was the best animal to buy is actually old cows. Um, these on the market are called pound cows. So they are old mama cows that are kind of past their prime and are being sold to, you know, turn into ground beef or, or Arby's, um, you know, slice beef. And the numbers worked out, you know, they worked out fantastically that we decided we're going to do that same game, but we also have the caveat of our production standards um, that we are going to hold any animal in our system for a year before we slaughter it, just to potentially mitigate any things that may have happened to it before because we're marketing as grass fed. So, we bought this herd of old cows um, last fall, brought them back to the farm, and here we are in July. They've given us 12 free calves along the way that we weren't expecting. So, we got a heck of a deal buying these animals. We're going to make a good return when they are put into ground beef. And we got 12 free calves out of the deal as well, so it's about as sweet a deal as you could get. And uh, it's definitely going to be something that we do again in the future.
0: And um, how? So these tell people what that means age-wise. What's an old cow? So approximately, how what were the average age of those?
1: Um, they're going to be anywhere from seven to 12 years old. You know, unless you put them in a headgate and open their mouth and check their teeth, you're not going to know their age. And so the way a cattle auction works is they sell um, you know, bred cows at one point where they are pregnancy checking them, and then they sell heifers, and then they sell bulls, and then they sell um, steers. And then at the very end of the day, so like our local sale, they start selling at 1 p.m. on Monday. By the time they are selling the old cows, these pound cows, it's about 9 o'clock at night. So it's been a long day of selling and most of the people have already left. Um, so it got to the point where it was like me and another guy sitting there bidding against each other to buy these old cows uh, because there's little need for this in the market. But what's neat about it is when we when we open our mind and instead of saying we always buy stockers, you know, that, that's a, a typical thing is we always buy 500-pound calves, and we raise them up for a year and a half and slaughter them. Well, what's the difference between buying a 500-pound calf and keeping it for a year, or buying one that's already grown and keeping it for a year? There's really no difference there, but it's a it's a mindset thing that if we just free our mind and look at what's the best buy, um, there are deals out there ready to be ready to be had.
0: All right. Well, we're we're coming up against it, boy. We could go forever. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a favor, and just don't answer it if you don't want now. But I'll get. I, we would love to have you back um, another time, and we'll make sure it's the time when you're feeling good. If you if you're willing to do it, because I know you could talk for another hour, and, and we would not even get close. Would you guys throw Probably. in some ones if you've enjoyed this? And then I'm going to end it by actually talking about. Completely different. Uh, we have He hasn't mentioned it at all. Oh, he did a little bit, and I don't know that you guys even caught it. There's just people throwing in one, 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 one. You know, that's the big Internet clapping, so that was very nice. Um, how'd you get involved in the Facebook thing? And you mentioned Tim Ferris. That was quite interesting compared to the military side, the Jocko, who's next SEALs. And I actually know, I don't know him well, but I know Tim Ferriss personally because I have an wow. Internet marketing side. Tim Ferriss is not your military kind of guy. <laughs> um, yeah. And But that was an interesting kind of two, uh, you know contrast of people. But just quickly tell us and then end up by telling us how we could help you. We, we want to know how we can help you, whether it means getting into your Facebook community or whatever. You just – you tell us what we can do to help you. And I'm talking about our community. By the way, for every one person that watches this live, Jordan, we'll have a couple hundred that will watch it by replay over the next month. So most of our audience is a replay audience. So.
1: Yeah. Um, well, getting into the social media part, um, you know, been on Facebook for, I don't know, 10 years now or, you know, however long they've been around. Um, It was a good medium of communication on deployments between, you know, family members. Uh, It's a space where something I I noticed was a lot of the groups that already existed addressing agricultural issues uh, on Facebook um, seemed to be off the mark in what they were focusing on, or they had a niche that they were so, honed in on that they forgot about everything else. Um, you know, that we're only going to talk about watercress on this page or we're only going to talk about pigs. Um, and if we have differing opinions on something, um, you're going to get crucified by the group. And so uh probably a couple years ago, I've always got a couple thoughts for business running through my head. And a real uh, silly one was, I was like, it'd be really cool to have a business... Well, using the acronym FBI because, you know, that'd just be kind of silly to like run around a farm with FBI on your shirt and sure it, it would get some laughs. Um, so I came up with the idea of farm built innovations. That was kind of the first iteration of it. And it, it does tie into the one thing I didn't mention is I did, um, ag consulting when I left Polyface for a couple of years, working with families who were trying to get farms started. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind that, um, uh, you know, I wanted to have eight, ten years of, of legitimacy behind me, actually doing this before I got back into the, the teaching and, and mentoring field of this, because it seems there's a lot of um, there's a lot of guys out there who maybe aren't as experienced as they kind of purport themselves to be. Um, and what I wanted to build was a platform that is very simple steps on how we do this. Um, on, and doing it to scale. There's a lot of homestead stuff out there as well and backyard flocks, both. You know, I've never been interested in doing this type of agriculture small scale. You know, I'm one of the guys that believes to my core that we can feed the world doing this, and we have to get out there and, you know, start either doing it or teaching how it's done, getting after it. That led to starting the, the Farm Builder page. The, the first one I actually started was the personal page, um, Jordan Green-Farm Builder, just to show what I was doing and have conversations. And then at, at uh, about a year ago, I was like, I'm going to start my own group, which is the, the Farm Builder Entrepreneurs one, um, which I think is up here. Uh, no, that's trying to take me to the website. <laughs> um, and kind of what we're focused on, is building scaled or building pasture-based livestock systems at scales supporting full-time income. That that's kind of our direction that we're going with Farm Builder. Is it doesn't matter if you're doing cows, pigs, chickens, um, ducks, you know, alpacas, what have you. If we want, if we want farming to truly. Um, be sustainable to build that next generation of, of agriculturalists. We have to figure out how to do these things at a scale the points to support incomes. Um, I'm sure you've heard the statistic that's thrown around about the 90% or 95% failure rate. Uh, I don't know where that came from, but it, it's used all the time. Um, so that was kind of our goal. We wanted to show the simple stuff that. We're not going to get into the weeds about how the fungi interact with each other and the soil and the grass and nitrogen fixing. There's a lot of good information out there. What's not as available for people is how to fill out a cut sheet when you have the cow butchered or how to do a cut audit and design your pricing structure so that when you're selling the T-bone steak or the pound of ground beef, you're actually making money and not just copying what the farm a couple miles away is doing with their pricing schedule. Um, So that's our goal with Farm Builder. Um, We do have a website that if I can um, get after enough and finish, will be going live uh, soon. That'll be called farmbuilder.us. And that's going to have a lot of resources for people um, that I've talked about. It'll have ways that um, people can connect with us and contract us for services if they you know, if they would like to, but our goal has been to disseminate this information as widely as possible and help people actually build um, stable businesses so that they don't pursue this farming dream, and then three or four years later, um, they've exhausted all their resources, they're burned out, they're getting a divorce, and they think farming is the dumbest thing they've ever done.
0: Awesome. So now answer my last question, what can we, what can we as a group that's, growing and we care our whole goal is to collaboratively help people make some money making people on the planet better what, what can we do as a group to help you
1: um, I, I love what you guys are doing that you're focusing on the economic aspects of this which you know I agree is um, you can't have true sustainability without profitability you, you, you can only crush them up for so long so so, I mean, spreading the word, join uh, the group if you would like. Um, you know, what I really love is when people share <clears throat> in the group um, specific things that they're doing. You know, they have a specific set of numbers. Um, you know, this, these things don't have to be proprietary. It, it's not rocket science to figure all this stuff out. So, you know, share how you do your cut audits or how you're marketing your product. Um, those, are, those are really neat when people actually you know, give information that's really useful to a lot
0: of folks. Awesome. Well, we went a little bit over, guys, not much, but this is well worth it. I know all of you said you were enjoying it. I want to just thank Jordan amazingly from my heart. And we talked about, um, you know, what he does on a Sunday, and and, uh, I do the same. And so bless you, my friend. And um, and then – and again, I'm going to try to convince him to come on back with us another time, and uh, we'll talk about that later. Um, as you get FarmBuilders.us up and going, maybe I'll throw out that we could help you. Um, maybe even as you get that going, to, uh, we've got some. We, I have some skil- I have some skills and some tools that maybe you, you might want to use as you get that up. I'm, are you using a WordPress? Um, yeah, platform? it is a WordPress. So. Yeah. yeah. And there might be some things we've got. My wife is a is a website builder, and and that's you know what she's done for 25 years. And anyway, there's other things that we might talk about that we could help you with. And everybody join join the group, farm builders, entrepreneurs. Um, you know, again, he's not making money from this. I hope you guys saw that, and that, that's not the motive of that site. So please do that. And then I'd love to. I'm going to ask one thing, if was a favor from you, also. Um, you now, we might do what we did for yours here, which is to advertise that you were speaking tonight. I might ask you if it's all right that so we can put some other posts up with your scrutiny about other speakers that we have, and, and uh, Mark Shepard and uh, Evan Fultz. Bale Dixon, who's not too far from you, who's going to start teaching. Dan Kittredge, who uh, is farther north, but groups that you mentioned, the Stockman Group. and um, I actually yeah. was talking to Joel the other day. You probably know. Joel's now an editor, um, and uh, yeah. is, a, is a cool thing. So anyway, yeah, um, I great. mentioned to you we're trying to get Daniel on to do a, a teaching series on Rabbits. I mean, he wants he's going to, but I think it's going to start in the winter again. When he's got a right. time, and he's, he's working his yeah. year end off now. So.
1: He's a busy fellow. <laughs> yeah. So um,
0: again, thank you so much. Thank you, audience. Thank you, Mark And Reed signed off. He's probably he's got to go to school in <laughs> just a little bit. Um, and so, uh, appreciate it. Have a great. Get better. Get healthy. Hope you got you got some adrenaline going. You were you were um, you were looking like you were feeling a little bit better
1: even as we were. I was it distracted my mind from it, so it was it was a good hour.
0: By the way, I, I thought that you should have stayed with with FBI. That, that's hilarious. I I, did, I made a screw up really early in my career, so I was in my 20s when I did this. But I'm a serial entrepreneur, and so I had a I started a business called Information Research Services. <laughs> IRS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't think about I did not think about the uh, acronym at all. Right. I literally. Got brochures made, and you know, and and the I even had them, you know, vetted by some people. And it was only when some client said, "You know, I don't know that IRS is a real good name for your
1: business." Right, right. <laughs> well, we live and we learn. <laughs> right, right.
0: All right. Well, Mark, why don't you uh, stop the recording, and we're just going to say goodbye. Hey, everybody.